You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right, well, we'll get started this morning. If you turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter today, uh, the book of 1 Peter, uh, while you're turning there, I got, got this in the mail, a title to the church. Uh, paid in full. Amen. We uh, praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Yeah, give God a hand. Praise the Lord. We, uh, the Lord enabled us. Uh, man, has it even been a month yet that we were able to purchase uh, the building? And so thankful that we were able to, uh, to God be the glory, uh, just purchase the building outright. Uh, and then to have uh, money remaining that we can uh, right away do some updates and everything and so uh, we're looking forward to that and that's where Michael mentioned about the the business meeting uh, we're just going to try to get the ball rolling um, we have some people to come work on the exterior at the end of June uh, so we're kind of getting the ball rolling on that and then we'll move in and start doing some updates in here but uh, but it's good good times amen the Lord's good and uh, we're just going to see God continue to work. Uh, all right. Uh, so in the book of First Peter this morning, if you would please, yes. Oh, dismiss for Children's Church, yeah. Uh, ages, I believe it's ages eight and under, if you'd like to. That we have a Children's Church option there. So Miss Kim, just said, so if there's any, other, any of the other kids that would like to be a part of that, uh, please head on back to that. All right. Uh, one of the things about being in this building, we have room to do some of that kind of stuff. So to where we didn't as much before. So Miss Kim is doing children's church there. So remember that. All right. First uh, Peter chapter number three. I may have said one. I'm going to go to one in just a moment. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. Then we're going to look at 118 as well. You know, I want to preach on this thought today on he must have loved me a lot. He must have loved me a lot. And I'm glad today it's not just me because the Bible says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And of course, that's John 3, 16. What a savior. What a love that he has for you and that he has for me. And there's no greater place that that love was demonstrated than on the cross uh, that day when he died on the cross uh, 2,000 plus years ago. Uh, and I want to try to preach a little bit about the cross today. As we look in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I am glad that I stand here today as someone indeed that you did love a lot and that you do love a lot. God, and it's not by my merit, but it's by your mercy. It's not by my goodness, but it's by your grace. And that goes with everyone here this morning. And I pray that you'll help us, dear Lord God, as we try to uh, glorify your work on the cross and uh, glory in the cross today, dear Lord. Uh, well, thank you, dear God, for that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I believe that the cross today really stands as a dividing point in time, in, in all of history and in all of eternity. The cross really stands as a dividing point. From the very beginning, uh, the Bible actually says in the book of Revelation that Jesus, it refers to Jesus as a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. 
Which is to say it was the plan of God going back uh, from the foundation of the earth before creation that Jesus would go to an old rugged cross. And, and when you follow the book of uh, Genesis and you follow through the Old Testament, folks, it is pointing constantly to the Lord Jesus Christ and it's constantly pointing to His work on the cross. Uh, I mean, from the very beginning, there was, a, uh, there was bloodshed in the Garden of Eden to cover the nakedness of Adam and of Eve. From the very beginning, uh, the Lord taught them this lesson. From the very beginning, the very first verbal prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ is in Genesis. Uh, matter of fact, I believe it's Genesis 3.18 to where the Bible says how that the seed of woman will bruise the serpent's head. And from that point on, we begin to read about the lambs and the sacrifices and, and all these different types and pictures. And they're all leading to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So the entire Old Testament is looking forward and moving toward the cross. And then once we get to the cross and the resurrection, the New Testament is looking back to the cross. But we don't look back uh, to the point that we don't move forward. We also move forward with the cross. Amen? I mean, we bring the cross. We preach the cross. Uh, I like what the Apostle Paul says. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, and I'm going to give you a lot of verses here, but if you'd like to write them down and check them later, but 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I determined, the Apostle Paul says, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Apostle Paul was a brilliant man, but he says there's one thing that I want to make sure you know about. You need to know about the cross of Christ. Uh, God forbid that I should glory, he says in Galatians 16. God forbid that I should glory. Amen. That word glory is often used for boast yes. and bragging. God forbid that I should boast or brag. It's sometimes used for just to be joyful. But he says, God forbid that I should glory, save. In other words, only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What do we boast in today? Folks, we're not boasting in the name on the sign. We're not boasting in ourselves or in the things that we've done. If we've got anything to brag about today, folks, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the cross is a humbling uh, thought when you think about it. I mean, it gets us to the point. We, a, a person that walks around, a religious person that, that walks around with their chest stuck out and their nose up in the air, I'll tell you one thing right now, folks. They, they do not have the proper view of themselves, and they do not have the proper view of the cross. Amen. Because, folks, we are what we are by the grace of Almighty God. And we are here today because of the cross of Christ. I'm telling you, I believe when you look at the Apostle Paul and you look at the New Testament apostles, you'll find out that the cross of Christ was much of their motive. It was their motive. They went with the cross of Christ. The way Christ laid down His life, so we ought to give our lives in service for the Lord. It was their motive. It was their message. Amen. They repeatedly preached Christ. And when they're preaching Christ, they preach the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that He accomplished there on Calvary. And so, from an earthly perspective, it was the greatest tragedy. But from God's perspective, it was the greatest triumph. It was Calvary. And folks, it is something to glory in this crucifixion. Uh, a Roman citizen couldn't even be crucified. It was such a gruesome uh, form of death and punishment leading up to death. 
And so it was an awful thing in a sense, but folks, it was what was accomplished there at the cross. It's, it's what the cross stands for today. This, this verse tells us what, why the cross had to be. The Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ have to go to the cross? Because of our sins and because of sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. The Bible says in Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But I really like Romans chapter 5 verse 8 where the Bible says, But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh boy, what a Savior. Amen. He, he said, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did He go through such agony there? Why did He have to suffer so much, folks? It was because of our sins. And I'll tell you this right now, from a practical standpoint, the Apostle Paul says, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And of course, that's Galatians 6.14. But uh, what, what is he saying there, folks? We need to recognize from time to time how awful sin is. Oh, yeah. If you ever wonder how bad sin is, if you, you don't just have to look around you in society. You don't just have to look in your own life. You don't just have to look at the, the, the broken lives and the broken homes and, and the broken pieces to see how that's an example enough. But if you don't look at anything else, look at the cross. Because there was one way. God looked on a world that He loved and that He cared about. And there was one way that we could be brought to Him and that was for our sins to be paid for. The wages of sin is death. Now, if, if left to ourselves, there's a place that was created, the Bible says, for the devil and his angels. And that's a place called hell. The thing about it is, is this life is temporary. It doesn't matter if you live five or five hundred years in this life. Folks, it is temporary. But there's eternity that awaits. Jesus and the Bible teaches very plainly there's a heaven and there's a hell. And folks, really the cross is the great divide. It's dependent on what you do with Christ. Because if we do not accept the payment that He has given us, the pardon that He has given us, then we will have to pay for eternity in a place called hell. And ultimately, uh, that's thrown into the lake of fire. But God loved you and me so much that He went to the cross. And so uh, a few things I want to say about the cross this morning, if you'll just uh, bear with me. Number one, I want to say this. I want to say that we learn about the substitutionary purpose of the cross. The substitutionary purpose. The vicarious suffering of God's Lamb. Folks, on Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, there's an interesting thing that was taking place uh, in the background there. On that very day, the lambs were being brought up to Jerusalem. There was a, there was a special kind of shepherd. There was a special section to where sacrificial lambs were kept. And folks, you couldn't just sacrifice any lamb to the Lord. It had to be a lamb without spot and without blemish. It couldn't be a lamb that had a lamp. 
It couldn't be a lamb that had a sore or a spot or something like that. It had to be a perfect lamb. And those lambs on the, on Palm Sunday, those lambs, folks, were being brought up to Jerusalem to be inspected. And on that very day, God's lamb... The Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, you remember what he said when he saw him there in John chapter 1? Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. God's Lamb was coming into Jerusalem. And what did, what did Pilate say? He said, I find no fault in him. He was the perfect Lamb of God. So on the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the lambs were being brought up. And on the day of the Passover, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the, that, those sacrificial lambs were being sacrificed. The Passover lambs that goes back to Exodus chapter number 12 and, 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 and the night of the Passover... When the blood was applied, and therefore the judgment, uh, the, the angel of judgment passed over them. But at that very moment, folks, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The very day. I mean, listen, why? Because he was the Lamb of God. See, God is just. God is perfectly, totally, and completely righteous and holy. But as I've already said, we are unjust. Our condition is that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But being just, God simply cannot overlook sin. But God is a God of infinite love. So God allowed His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take our sin upon Himself. What a happy day that was for me, by the way. I'm, I, I imagine that most of us in here today perhaps have believed and understood that Jesus died on the cross. But folks, it was a glorious day when I realized why He went to the cross. Now it was a convicting day when I understood that it was my sin that held Him there. It was my sin and your sin that held Him there. But when I realized what a wonderful thing that He would love me enough and that He would love you enough that He would carry your sin. He would. The Bible says surely He hath borne our griefs and carry our sorrows. Isaiah 53, the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He bore our sins. It was substitutionary. He went for us. So it was a substitutionary purpose for the cross. But also, we see the suffering passion of the cross. The suffering passion. The Bible says there again in verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust... That He might bring us to God, but He suffered there that day. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. Verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's the Lamb of God, the suffering passion of Christ. Folks, on the cross, the Lord Jesus endured emotional suffering. And leading up to the cross, of course, the Bible says in Luke 22, verse 44, And being in great agony, He prayed more earnestly, 
And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground there in Gethsemane. What was in the cup that the Lord was about to receive? Folks, there was the, in that cup was the pollution of our sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, it was for us. I mean... This, uh, this suffering passion, his, uh, what he suffered and endured there on the cross. Uh, there was the pollution of sin and also the punishment of sin. There was, uh, there was uh, emotional suffering, but there was also physical suffering. I was thinking about this. I'm, I won't share all of this today, but I just wanted to share with you a little bit of a, uh, a doctor's view of the crucifixion. Uh, when Before the Lord Jesus was ever crucified, before He was nailed to the cross, He was scourged. He was taken and beaten with what's called the cat of nine tails. But uh, uh, this doctor says at the first, the thongs cut through the skin only. And by the way, let me start here. Uh, that's a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two uh, small balls of lead attached near the end of each of the heavy whip. And it's brought and it's got iron and bone, rock, sharp objects that are interwoven within the tassels that come off of this whip that the Lord was beaten with. And they, he would be, a scourging victim would be stretched out. And the way the Romans would do it is they would begin, sometimes it would be one soldier, sometimes they would have one on either side. Uh, but one way or the other, uh, they would go from the heels all the way up to the neck. Beating the backs of the legs, the back, all the way up to the back of the neck, being beaten. Now, many people talk about the 49 stripes he received. That was Jewish law, not Roman law. Uh, the Romans would normally do it up until the point to where they thought the person was barely hanging on to life and then they would stop because they wanted the suffering to continue if possible. Uh, so uh, at the first, these thongs would have cut uh, the skin only. Then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcontaneous uh, tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from the vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produce large, deep bruises which are broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons and the entire area is an, uh, is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. I have pages of this and I'm not, I wouldn't take the time to share all of this with you, but uh, just a few things here and there. Uh, after being scourged, and we, the, there's, the, there's the crown of thorns and there's uh, other blows he's taken to his face and his beard being ripped out. Um, but uh, just to get, cut, hit a couple highlights, Jesus follows still bleeding uh, and sweating cold after he's bearing the cross. Uh, clammy sweat of shock until the 650 yard journey from the fortress... Antonia to Golgotha is finally completed. And when he is finally nailed to the cross, uh, he is nailed. We talk about his hands and his feet, but understand in this, uh, in this terminology, the hands, the wrist would be considered a part of the hand. And so he would have been nailed through his hands and through his feet, more like we'd say through the wrist. But the left foot, he, they nail the hands. Then the left foot is now pressed backward against the right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven uh, through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified. 
By the way, I'll say this, as he's nailed to that cross, when they would then erect the cross and they would drop it down into the hole that was uh, dug previously for the cross, uh, and he had to be fastened on there well because if for some reason he were to come off of that cross, uh, then the Roman, the, the guard who nailed him would have to uh, be killed as a result. But so the victim is now crucified as he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, excruciating pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid uh, this stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the uh, metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps uh, sweep over the muscles, knotting them in the deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. I didn't get through this part because I skipped it, but the, 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 the significance of him having to push himself upward would be for the purpose of exhaling. He could actually inhale like this, but so much pressure is put on the chest when your weight is being supported on the cross, you can't exhale. You can inhale, but you can't exhale. And so you'd have to raise yourself up or push yourself up to be able to exhale and to get another breath. Um, and so forth. But hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercoastal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and the bloodstream and the cramps uh, partially subside. Uh, Spas, uh, spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in the life-giving oxygen. And, uh, and skipping on a little bit, the loss of tissue and fluids has reached a critical level. Uh, the compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. Uh, the, market, the markedly dehydrated issues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. Uh, Jesus gasped for his final breaths. And we know that in those breaths, the Lord Jesus actually spoke. And so, friends, uh, we can forget about it if we're not careful, but there was indeed a great amount of physical agony that the Lord had to endure for our sins. Uh, may we not take that lightly. It reminds me of an Old Testament prophecy uh, concerning the crucifixion. He says, is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Is it nothing to you because he was mocked on that cross? And I'm telling you, he's still being mocked today. But remember this, he did it for you. But as we look at the mockers, as we look, uh, listen, as we look at the secularists and as we look at those that deny his existence and cuss his name, he still did it for them. Amen. That's why we, we take a stand for truth, but the Bible says something. We speak the truth in love. Amen. Why? Because Jesus died for the world. Jesus died for everyone. And I'm glad He can save anyone. Amen. There's no one that has, that has sinned too much, uh, done too much, that Jesus can't forgive them and save them. He already bore their sins. Oh, uh, the people I've talked to that have said, man, I think I've done too much. 
I'm glad I could look at them and say, no, no, no. Jesus knew all you would ever do. And He still went to the cross. Man, He must have loved me a lot. He went through emotional suffering. He went through physical suffering. He also went through spiritual suffering. But I want to say one more thing about the physical suffering. Did you know that the word excruciate means out of the cross? That word comes from the crucifixion. Excruciate. It comes from out of the cross. Oh, my friend, listen. But he also went through spiritual suffering. The Bible says, Isaiah 53, verse 11, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. The travail of his soul. So folks, His sacrifice. He must have loved me a lot. Why? Because we see His substitutionary purpose. We see His suffering passion. But not only that, we see the satisfying provision. Look again in chapter 3, verse 18. The Bible says, For Christ also hath once... I mean, mark that word. Circle it. Highlight it. Once... Christ hath once suffered. You know what this means? This means it will never happen again. It was once. Praise God. Listen, He come the first time as a lowly Nazarene. He come the first time to die. But when He comes back the second time, He's coming to reign. Folks, He will never be crucified again. He died on the cross. Three days later, He gloriously rose again. Uh, I mean, it was a it was a once and for all transaction. I mentioned uh, seven recorded sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ while He was on the cross, uh, and His next to the last was this, and it's recorded in John nineteen verse thirty, uh, where the Bible says He He cries, "It is finished. It is finished." Now those, that's three English words for us, but those three English words, it is finished, comes from one Greek word. That Greek word is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Uh, I could have gone if you didn't know Greek and you'd have thought I was pronouncing it right, but it's tetelestai. Tetelestai, it is finished. Now, that word was often used. It was a common word in Greek, cult- in Greek culture. Uh, there was several applications, and I'll share a few of those with you here briefly. Number one, uh, there would be uh, people that would commit a crime that was worthy of a great punishment. And the, the, the Roman government would write what is called a certificate of death. A certificate of death. In other words, it was the debt that they owed because of their crime. See, the Bible says because of our sin, we are indebted. See, think about it this way. You talk about needing to be forgiven. Imagine today that somebody comes up and just hauls off and just punches you square in the face. Then imagine that person in a moment of of remorse says, you know what? I forgive myself for doing that to you. Well, God bless you. I mean, I forgive myself. Maybe there's somebody else standing by and they say, you know what? I forgive you for hitting them in the face. Well, we're getting further away from the problem, aren't we? Wait a second, I'm not, you don't need to be worried about forgiving yourself. You need me to forgive you. 
See, we have these philosophies today. Oh, forgive you. We do need to learn to forgive ourselves. God's forgiven us. We need to forgive ourselves. But, but what I'm saying is, it's not our forgiveness that takes our sins away. Amen. We need to get forgiveness with a righteous God. And it certainly isn't someone else declaring that we've been forgiven. I remember hearing, I remember a lady that I knew when I was in Pierre, and she said in her church, a part of the service is that uh, in some of the liturgy they would read, they would read something along the lines of, I forgive you of your sins. And as the, as the minister would get up and saying that, just as I'm looking around the room right now, uh, he would be looking around the room, I forgive you of your sins, he would read. Uh, and, but as he would read that, she said, man, if, she was always hoping that he would be looking at her when he read it. Because it gave her this feeling of like, okay, good, my sins are forgiven. See, religion, folks, doesn't take sins away. Us forgiving ourselves doesn't. There's one person that's been offended by our sins greater than anybody else, and that's God. Amen. Uh, the, the, and the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. But Jesus did shed His blood. So there's this certificate of death, this debt. But in some cases, you could work off this death or you, debt. You could be incarcerated for a certain amount of time, you know, much like we can imagine today. And therefore, you're no longer guilty. You've been tried. You've been found guilty. But you've served your sentence. Now we're not going to hold this against you. In other words, we're not going to come back and say, you know what? I remember you committed that crime. We're coming after you again. It's like, wait, I've already served my time. And so to make sure nothing like that happened, that on that certificate of death, it was stamped. It was stamped to Telestai. It is finished. The debt has been paid. And beloved, I want you to know something. Uh, the moment that you come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that debt, those writing of ordinances that are against us, it is stamped with a stamp uh, in blood that says, Tetelestai. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. And it literally meant paid in full. <laughs> paid in full. That's the way it was used. But it was used in other ways. So it was used as paid in full. Hallelujah. I'm glad my sins are paid in full. You know, you know what religion does? Religion, and listen, I understand to a certain extent we're in a church, so you could say we're religious. To some extent, I get that. But when I think about religion in, the, in this way, I think of religion oftentimes as man's efforts to get to God versus salvation, God coming to man. Which is what the Bible is, God coming to man. Because you know some of the things, and man, if you had all day, I could tell you, but there's some things that make me sick about much religion. I meet people that are sick of religion. I don't blame them. I meet people that have, want nothing to do with walking into some church somewhere. I don't blame them. If I've had the experiences they've had, if what is supposed to be God has been taught to me and misrepresented in the way it's been misrepresented to them, I don't get mad at these people. I don't blame these people at all. Why? But you know one of the things that religion does is they, they use things to hold it over your head. See, Jesus said, pay it in full. It is finished. But religion likes to kind of keep you on a leash. Yeah, Jesus paid it in full, but if you really want to go to heaven, you need to do this. And you need to give this amount of money to the church. And, and, I mean, and, and they just try to get you all along the way to where you are, connect, you are the, the church is just as much as a Savior as Christ.
Not everybody understands this statement. But I will, you will not hear me say, as long as they're going to some church. That's okay. Because if that church... Because what, what, what is a religion? What is a church saying? In essence, if they're adding to this work, Jesus said, done. Religion says, not so fast. Not so fast. It's not done. You've got to be baptized into our church. And you've got to go through our classes. And you've got to check the boxes. And you've got to light this candle and ring this bell and, and burn this. Uh, in, whatever it is you've got to do. And you've got to jump this hurdle. And you've got a, a limbo. What, not a sad limbo? You've got a limbo under this bar. The Lord says it's finished. And that's why, listen. To me, that's, that's, that's right there with blasphemy, is it not? God sent His Son the only way to be saved. The only way that we could ever have any hope was for Jesus. He must have loved me a lot. Amen. He must have loved me a lot to come from heaven. He must have loved me a lot to bear my sin. He must have loved me a lot to go through what He went through. He went through all that not because you can either have this or just join this church over here. Or just get baptized. I think Jesus would have just said, yeah, I'm not, don't, I'm not going to go through all that. Just go get your sins washed away in uh, the water. Go get baptized out in the Missouri River, buddy. That's not taking your sins away. You're probably going to pick something up out there. Right? I mean, but people add to it. But what I'm saying is, it's a satisfying provision. It is finished. It's paid in full. Uh, there's several other ways. Listen, an, an artist... An artist, when he would be working on a painting after he made that, that final stroke. There were some masterpieces that were worked on for years and years. And, and, and the artist would make that final stroke of beauty. And, and he, would, he would look and, and he would set his brush down. And he would set his palette down. And he would remove his smock. And he would look and he would behold his work. And he would say, it is finished. It is finished. Nothing else to be added to this artwork. I mean, listen, uh, not only that, but there was a servant. After a servant would be sent with a task, after he was accomplished to do all that he was sent to do, he would return to his master at the end of the day when he had accomplished the work. And before his master, he'd say to Telestai, it is finished. It is done. And folks, Jesus came to this earth on a mission. And Jesus on the cross accomplished that mission. And He said, Father, it is finished. To tell us, I've accomplished the work, hallelujah, that You've sent me to do. What was that work? That works to provide a pardon and a way of salvation for you and for me. <laughs> Glory to God. Oh, listen. Uh, and I'll give you the last way it was used during the Greek culture. Uh, after a general had vanquished his opposing uh, general, opposing army, the defeated uh, general, seeing that he was outmanned and outmatched and, and, and nothing but certain death awaited, the general would have to wave a white flag of surrender. And he would have to come out onto that battlefield and, and his army behind him. And that defeated general would have to kneel before the victorious general. And the rest of his army would kneel down behind him. And I would have asked Evan to you'd help me with this illustration, but it seems like it wouldn't be too fun. But that, as, that, as that opposing general is kneeling before the conquering general, that conquering general, general would take out his sword. 
putting his foot upon that defeated general's neck, and with his sword raised in the air, he would cry, To Telestine! It is finished! The battle is over! The victory's been won! And the army together on the winning side would cry out together, Yes! Amen! And they would cheer, and they would celebrate. Amen. I'm glad the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross that he went there to bruise the head of Satan. And folks, that, that, that battle's been fought. That battle's been won. But I'm telling you, there's coming a time where it will be, uh, where it will be totally complete. Amen. Satan will be cast into hell. But it's a satisfying provision. And then, last, I want to give you this. Uh, lastly, uh, the, the, the substitutionary purpose, the suffering passion... The satisfying provision, then lastly, the saving power of the cross. The saving power of the cross. The Bible says in verse 18, once again, notice what it says. For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Notice this, that He might bring us to God. That He might bring us to God. The Greek word for being right there, or bring, means to take someone in and bring them in, bring them to another person. It was often used when a person would bring another into the throne room. Folks, the only way we can get into the throne room, I mean, listen, uh, I've had people say, uh, preacher, uh, can you save me? I can't save you. Amen. I mean, I'm not the one that can take your hand and lead you into heaven. But Jesus is. I can, I can introduce you to the one that can. Amen? I can introduce you to the one that can. He says, why did He do all this? Why did He go to the cross? So that He might bring them to the Father. That He might bring us to glory. Oh, what salvation is in essence. I'm glad salvation is simple. Amen. What it truly means to be saved. Another one of my issues with so much religion is that's hard to even figure out what in the world they all they're saying sometimes in a service. Much less all that you believe. And, all, and, and, and the greatest question, what's it going to take to have your sins forgiven? How are you going to ultimately get to heaven? And if it's, well, you've got to do this, 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 A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and all that stuff. No. God says, here it is. The wages of sin is death. I paid the penalty for sin. I purchased the gift of salvation for you. It is finished. I died. I rose again. I did it all. He, why did He do it? It says to bring them to God. How's He going to bring you? He's not going to force you. So we'll see in just a moment as we close. But He extends that hand. And if you'll take His hand by faith, trusting Him from your heart, calling on Him, if you'll just take His hand today, He'll bring you to the Father. He'll bring you to salvation. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. doesn't matter. You say, preacher, I don't understand it all. You don't have to understand it all. You need to understand this. You, you've sinned against a holy God. And there's judgment for that, but there's a holy God that loves you. Amen. And wants to save you. You get that? Do you know you're a sinner? Can you admit that you've sinned against God? If you're willing to come to Him, take His hand. He'll bring you. In 1933, there was a case tried in the Supreme Court of the United States. It's the United States versus Wilson. <clears throat> the United States versus George Wilson 
On May 27th, uh, 1830, Wilson and co-conspirator James Porter were sentenced to death after being convicted of robbing a U.S. postal worker and putting the carrier's life in jeopardy. While Porter was executed just over a month later, on June 2nd, or July 2nd, 1830, Wilson managed to escape the sentence. President Andrew Jackson decided to pardon Wilson from the death penalty. I mean, that's what everybody, every, every prisoner on death row just about is hoping for a pardon. But you're talking about a presidential pardon? Andrew Jackson pardoned George Wilson. Well, that's great news. But for some reason, Wilson waived the pardon. No, thank you. No, thank you. In 1933, the Supreme Court ultimately weighed in on the issue, ruling, and here's what they ruled. This is in the books today. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force, him, force it on to him. I don't know if you realize or not, but that's good doctrine. The Lord has said to the world, I'll pardon you. You're pardoned. I paid the price. I did what must be done. It is then offered to us just like it's offered to George Wilson. But you know what I see so often? I see people turn away just like George Wilson and say, no, thank you. See, the pardon that he procured is of no value to you if you don't accept it. If you don't receive it. And in closing, as we all stand here today, I think about the mercy that thought about the cross. The love that brought the cross. And the grace that bought our salvation. In Matthew 27, we read about a man by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas was a guilty man. Barabbas was a rebel. Barabbas was uh, a treacherous he was a murderer. He was, to be he was to be crucified on the very day that Christ was to be crucified. There he sits in his iron cell waiting. He hears the footsteps of the praetorian guard coming down to his cell. Bracing himself for what's going to be a very long and gruesome day. When he's to be nailed and hung on a cross. But he finds out something. Rather than being taken out to that cross, he finds out something. Pilate said, Whom would you that I release to you, to the people? Jesus or Barabbas? And they said, Release Barabbas. What should I do with Jesus? Crucify him, the people cried. Barabbas was supposed to be on the cross that day. That cross was Barabbas's cross. That cross was fashioned. It was erected. It, it was all for Barabbas. But Jesus took His place. That's a wonderful picture, but you want to know something? 
Today, Jesus took your place. We're guilty. We're guilty. But there's a God in heaven that took our place. Amen. I was guilty with nothing to say. They were coming to take me away. When a voice from heaven was heard that said, Let him go and take me instead. Oh, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. Folks, He took your place if you'll come to Him today. Will you accept that pardon? As Kurt sings and she plays, Father, I thank You, dear Lord. Thank You for Your glorious pardon. Thank You for Your wonderful grace. Thank You for the cross. I want to thank you for the day I heard about the cross. I want to thank you for the day that it really hit home with me. I want to thank you that when I found out about this pardon that you purchased for me, that by your grace I accepted that pardon. God, help me to give my all to reach others for you, to serve and to glory and honor you. And I pray if there's anybody here today that has not received that pardon, that they would receive that pardon. They would accept that pardon today.